And now, Smug Film presents Robot Reenactments. Women. What can you say? Who made them? God must have been a fucking genius. The hair. They say the hair is everything, you know. Have you ever buried your nose in a mountain of curls? Just wanted to go to sleep forever? Or lips? And when they touched, yours were like that first swallow of wine. After you just crossed the desert. Tits. Hoo ha. Big ones, little ones, nipples staring right out at ya, like secret searchlights. Um. Legs. I don't care if they're Greek columns. Or second-hand Steinways. What's between M? Passport to heaven. I need a drink. Yes, Mr. Sims, there's only two syllables in this whole wide world worth hearing, pussy. Ha. Are you listening to me, son? I'm giving you pearls here. This has been a robot reenactment. Hello, I am the hunky smug film sponsor plug man. I'm here to tell you about the fine people who support the Smug Film Podcast through Patreon. You all should check out Bobby Slow on Twitter, he's a very funny and good man who tweets funny and good things and is worthy of your love. And he has a really good Twitter ratio of followers to following. That's impressive. Once again, that's Bobby Slow on Twitter. You should also check out Minor Key Games. Go on over to MinorKeyGames.com and check out these awesome computer games made by David and Kyle Pittman. Two brothers that make great video games with an old school feel. Cody hates new video games for the most part, but he enjoys the heck out of these. Once again, that's MinorKeyGames.com. Also, be sure to check out Room Full of Spoons, Rick Harper's documentary about the cult classic film The Room. It's a great documentary that we all love here as Smug Film, and go to roomfullofspoons.com to find out when it's coming to your city. Thank you for listening to my hunky voice, and thank you all who have donated to the show. And if you would like to be plugged on the show, please head on over to patreon.com slash smugfilm and donate. Hello, Smug Film fans. Leave us a question or a comment for Smug Film to play on the show by calling the following voicemail number. 718-395-9711 Once again, that's 718-395-9711 We look forward to hearing from you, you lovely, lovely people. Ladies and gentlemen, if you're a fan of the Smug Film Podcast, do yourself a favor and head on over to patreon.com slash smugfilm. That's p-a-t-r-e-o-n dot com slash smugfilm, where we've got a bunch of great rewards for you if you donate to the show. Just $1 a month gets you access to a library of over 20 bonus mini episodes of the Smug Film Podcast. These mini episodes will never be on iTunes or anywhere else. The only way to get them is by donating through Patreon. And that's not all. You also get streaming copies of my two feature films, Shredder and Rehearsals. All that for just a dollar a month. If you donate $5 a month, you get all that. Plus, we'll do a plug of whatever you want on one episode a month. Your Twitter handle, your website, your whatever. If you donate $10 a month, we'll plug whatever you want on every single episode of the show. It's an incredible deal. They're all incredible deals. So once again, that's patreon.com slash smugfilm, P-A-T-R-E-O-N dot com slash smugfilm. Head on over there today and enjoy the episode. Welcome to the Smug Film Podcast. I'm your host, Cody Clark. With me today live in person for the very first time is chloe peltier ah. Ah. Say, Hi. yeah say hello to uh smug film listeners hello smug film fans look it's it's, it's her not on skype i'm real i'm looking at her with my own two eyes right now wow 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 hey chloe hey hey cody how's it going great it's been a while yeah, it's been a really long time. I mean, it hasn't been a while for me. 
Yeah, but no. it's been a while for the Smug Film listeners. Yeah, they haven't they haven't heard from you in ages. I know. I get people message me messaging me all the time saying, "Where's Chloe?" Really? I I guess. Oh, a couple. Yeah, my hope so. So, where have you been? Let's sum this up because I know where you've been. Oh, but Jesus in, in your own words, where have you been? How are we gonna start with this shit? Well, you've been through a lot. Yeah, I have. You know that better than anyone. Let's see, where do we begin? Mm. Well, we can start with, I fired your ass. Yeah, you fired my ass. I fired her ass, folks. <laughs> the reason why I fired her ass was because she was having a lot of difficulty with what she was doing. Mm-hmm. She uh, she would send me, um, you know, the little Chloe snippets that we used to play on the show. We've done tons of them where she, of course, she works in a movie theater. So she walks into movies and then out and move, in and out of movies all the time. She sees a little bits and it was, you know, little mini segments. Now we do the robot reenactments, but for a while we did the Chloe uh, little movie reviews. It was just her thoughts on things that she saw like tiny snippets of while working at the movies. And for a while you were just sending me ones that were just shit. Yeah. And you know that you knew they were shit. I knew shit, they were shit. Yeah. But you were going through a lot and I just had to, you know, we had to stop it and I moved yeah. on to doing the robot reenactments, but we've always been very close. Mm-hmm. Um, we can sort of smug film exclusive and we can announce <laughs> that, uh, you and I are together. Yee. We've, we've loved it's each true, other guys. for a very long time. Yes, we have. Two of us. Yes. Years. It's kind of hard. It's both awesome and hard working with someone you love. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. Um, but as of now we are, we are essentially official. Yes. She's here After for Thanksgiving. So Yes. We finally met in person. We've known each other for years and years and years. I think it's been five years or so. Yeah. We finally met in person and all the love that we felt for each other from afar was magnified (laughs) tenfold. Magnified so much. Yes. So much. But Mm. you were were going through some troubles. And I think it's important for people listening to hear about that because, you know, it's a it's a very unique story. Yes, yes it is. And it could be very beneficial for people listening at home. So, Chloe, what have you been going through essentially for the last 10 years or so? Okay, well, um, when, I was, um, when I was a kid, uh, my mom got diagnosed with Huntington's disease. It's a neurological disease. It causes um, movement problems and then like uh, psychological problems, behavior problems, and eventually it makes you so you can't talk, you can't walk, you can't bathe yourself, and then you die. And um, I, I watched my mom suffer from it uh, from when I was little. When we first started seeing symptoms, we didn't even know what she had because she didn't know her father, and it's a genetic disease, and her father passed it on to her. And so I grew up with knowing that she had this and watching her have this, and... I didn't know that I was genetically like could be predisposed to it because people with um, a parent who has it uh, have a 50-50 chance of inheriting it from them. So I, um, I found out in high school biology class when they happened to be talking about it, they brought it up and they said that there's a 50-50 chance that you can inherit from your parent. And all I'd known at that point was that my mom had it. And so... I like flipped out because nobody in my family had told me you could get this at some point. And that was about when I was like 16. And from about 16 onwards, I was just really terrified that I had this disease. But you can't get tested genetically until you're 18. And I was determined at first to get tested. And it's funny because I uh, these things kind of go together. I was... I realized I wanted to make movies and be involved in movies when I was about that age too. So I was kind of determined to get tested and determined to do that and to write and all this stuff that, um, and I, once I graduated high school, I ended up going to college for something that totally wasn't even what I cared about. And I was like kind of being with like some weird guy who was, a bad influence on me and I just wound up like becoming a different person as escapism from my mom and from my fear and from everything 
and just completely living like a wasted life essentially for like probably like it was probably like 10 years and then by the time I graduated college it's like around 2011 my mom passed away from the disease and that was right around when I met or when I started talking to you Cody Mm -hmm. and all that shocked me because it was like my mom died it was like really real it kind of snapped me out of it and um and she was uh she was in like hospice at that point, right? Yeah, yeah. And it was weird because I got like a call on my birthday that was like, your mom's in hospice when I didn't even know that was anything was like drastically going on at the time. And it basically takes your life pretty early. Yeah, it took her life at 50. Mm-hmm. Yeah, um, she was suffering it th- from it though since I was since I was like at least eight years old, if not younger. And people show symptoms around their 30s and their yeah, 40s. Yeah, their 30s. So and there's there's no cure there's no no cure there's no anything for it yeah, it's just no a, cure. it's just a horrible degenerative disease yeah. like ALS yeah where there isn't really much that can be done yeah there's nothing can really be done all of the medications for the symptoms just exacerbate other symptoms like for instance one of the like there's a lot of medications they've been working on for a long time that um that have been approved. There's ones that have been approved and ones that haven't. And the ones that haven't been approved seem more effective than the ones that have. The ones that have been approved are really kind of fucked up. Like there's this one called tetrabenazine and that's like the most famous approved one. And it's for the movement condition. Like Huntington's used to be called Huntington's Korea because Korea is like dancing and it's like, you just never stop moving. And so like, and you have no control over it. Yeah, you're just, it's kind of like Parkinson's in that way. So, and a lot of people, like, they'll get pulled over and the cops will think they're drunk when they're just sick. Mm. And like, because they can't keep their balance and all this stuff. But yeah, this one tetrabenazine is, it it helps with the movement, but it depletes dopamine. So it causes a lot of patients to like commit suicide and shit. So... I remember when my mom was on that, she was like saying she was going to drop jump out windows and like all kinds of fucked up shit. It's always crazy when you see side effects for certain medications and it's the side effects are like way worse than whatever the damn thing is. Yeah. Like you hear the cluster of like side effect symptoms and it's like, especially like it always breaks my brain when I see that like antidepressants like one of the side effects is like extreme depression yeah, or like wanting to kill yourself or like kill other people. And it's like, yeah, are you kidding so me? Up. It's like, how is that even for the thing? If that, those yeah. are the side, it's, it doesn't make much sense. And of course, like certain medications of these can be very beneficial for certain people, but it's amazing mm-hmm. to think of something that's like, you know, marketed on television as having, and it has such crazy side effects. Yeah. But back to what you're saying, you know, essentially 10 years of your life were spent worrying. not getting tested and, and worrying. And uh, I think it's fair to say you assumed you did have it. I assumed you, I had it. Yes. Yeah. And your choice uh, to not get tested for so long, what was what was the reasoning behind that? Well, when I was a kid, like my mom got treated like garbage because... Um, because anytime there's a child involved um, where you're going to have like a custody battle or the parent is unfit to take care of the child, the parent kind of takes a backseat to the child. So what I was seeing as a child was that my mom was losing all control of her life. Everybody was basically just like, you can't live your, you can't make decisions anymore. We're going to take over. You kid can't live with you. Like you can't even dress yourself or anything. And I got so scared that if people knew that I was at risk for Huntington's disease and if people knew that I could have it, that they would treat me like a non-person, like they would treat me like a little kid or something and not take me seriously. Like if I talked to them about something I cared about, they would just dismiss it and pretend like they understood what I was saying. But like not like they would be dishonest with me right you were afraid that you know all control in your life and all of how people perceive you would just be tarnished exactly and a lot of that was 
I had seen so much of what my mom had done. Like there's so it's, it's a very visual disease. Like the way it makes you look is like, if you looked at a picture of my mom before the disease and my mom after it's like two different people. And I, I saw that for so long. And because you, 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 um, you kind of, you know, model your parents' mannerisms and stuff. Every time I did anything clumsy or if I, if my posture wasn't perfect or if I moved my hand a certain way or if I looked in the mirror and I looked like my mom, I would just think it's that's it. I'm turning into my mom. Right. It was like a confirmation bias at that point. Yeah. And I remember, you know, having tons of conversations with you where like, you know, you you explained the disease to me and you also mm-hmm. explained like what the symptoms are. And the symptoms were always very confusing to me because a lot of the symptoms were very universal and could pretty much apply to anybody. Like yeah. a lot of the um, the clumsiness and like the uh, depressive aspects and yeah. this, that and the other, it's all stuff that like, if you just looked at your own life, you could become convinced you have it. Like it's a very... Um, it's almost like a hypochondriac's like worst nightmare, you know, (laughs) like you look at those symptoms and it's like, it could apply to everybody. And like, I would look at those things and I would tell you, I was like, these are, these are pretty vague symptoms. Like Mm -hmm. what were some of the symptoms on there? Anxiety was a big one. Yeah. It was like Um, ridiculous things like that. Yeah. Anxiety, depression. um, Honestly, if you read it, if you read it, it sounds like any person who's coming of age. Yeah, that's the problem is like, that's a great thing I realized is people like everybody, everybody as they're aging doesn't, they've never been a person before. Like, um, I've never been 26 until now, you know? And so it's like when you, when you're experiencing all of the changes emotionally and physically, it's like your automatic thought sometimes is to think that there's something wrong with you. And I think people think that in a lot of ways, not just with if their parents have a disease and they're afraid of it, but like, you know, I've, I've seen it happen with um, the whole trend of like a lot of people are coming out as um, like gender neutral now or like trans or, and it's like, yeah, some of them, really do feel that way. But then I think a lot of them, I'm sure politically, like people might get mad at me, but a lot of them, like, I think are just latching onto that because they feel weird in their body because they're growing up and they don't understand why. Yeah. And you're speaking, you're speaking that way from your own experience exactly. and, and having, yeah, it's not like you're being accusatory. Mm-hmm. I mean, that, that's literally what happened to you. Yeah. Um, you were so convinced that you had it and I think there is something about like if some if some disease if some whatever is in the air, mm-hmm. I think more people think they have it or it, it's like yeah. you know restless leg mm-hmm. where like that wasn't a thing, and then there was like restless leg medication on TV and I'm sure if you look <laughs> at the numbers I'm sure way more people took restless leg medication than actually actually had restless leg it's probably like such a rare specific thing but i think that's the case with like uh like it only stands to reason that it'd be case with certain gender neutrality persuasions or whatever it's it's such a talked about thing right now that you're gonna always have more people than actually are that thinking they're that another one like the we're we're so susceptible to basically whatever's in the air yeah Yeah. it's it's all persuasion another one is um is like adhd how there was that big boom of like all the parents putting their kids on add medication i think people forget that like this stuff goes in cycles yeah there's some highly talked about you know mental physical whatever problem and you got everybody and their aunt thinking they fucking have it you know it's like Gluten free is gluten a big free. one. Gluten free is such celiacs, a celiacs. Yeah, yeah, it's such a good example. The actual celiac disease is exceptionally rare. Yeah, um, most people that think they're gluten sensitive, it's because they're just eating fucked up shit in general. Yeah, I mean, why wouldn't that be similar to the trans thing to to anything else? You got mm-hmm. you got something highly talked about. A lot of people are going to think they they are that. It, it it's almost like it's it's the difference between like fishing. And then like fishing with like a net, 
Yeah. You know, like fishing with a rod rather than fishing with a net. When something's so talked about or so saturated on television or commercials or whatever, it like throws out this huge net that ends up catching like, you know, you're trying to catch tuna and you catch dolphins and you catch <laughs> like oil cans and you catch a whole bunch of other shit. When something's that pervasive, you know, a lot of people get caught up in it just mentally. Yeah. So you now have been tested. Yes, I've been tested. What I where I was at in my story before we kind of went all over was um like in 2011 when my mom died and I was in college. I finished school, but right around after I started talking to you and watching your movies and everything, I started to realize that you were doing a lot of the stuff I wanted to do before I became this like other person that I was being as escapism from fear of this disease. So around that time after my mom died and and I started talking to you, I kind of snapped and I was like, I'm finishing school because I've spent so much money already. But afterwards, I'm I don't want this life anymore. I don't want anything to do with this life. I want to go back to my real self. So but I still wasn't convinced I wanted to test yet. I was in such denial that I needed that so badly. Yeah, it was I mean, it was something that you carried with you for so long. Yeah, it it's kind of hard to shed it. It became part of my identity. It was like I was afraid that if I didn't have that fear of Huntington's disease, it would be like, who am I anymore? Mm. You know, um, and I think a lot of people are like that with depression and anything else. Well, yeah, it's so hard to let go of something like that. And the beauty of testing, you know, specifically with Huntington's because it's, you know, it's highly accurate. It's like 100% yeah. accurate. You either have it or you don't have it. It's well, not like you get a, a result and you get a result a year later and it mm -hmm. says, oh, you do. No, it's like you get one test. It tells you definitively if you have the gene that will mean that you will have Huntington's later in life. Yeah. The only situation where you're not sure is the intermediate range, which is very rare. In which case, there's some cases where people won't develop it, but they can pass it on to their kids or something. Right. But it's just like so rare. It's a very low percentage. Most people... And they'd know if you were that Yeah, they case. would tell you. Um, but most people, it's either yes or no. And for me, it was a definite no. Yes, we, we can safely say Chloe will never develop Huntington's. Her children Yay. will never have Huntington's. She'll never have any symptoms in regards to Huntington's except for all the symptoms that everybody has, which is mm -hmm. all of them. <laughs> you know, I swear to you, you go online, you look at those symptoms and you're like, uh, that's me, that's me, that's me, that's me, that's me <laughs> sometimes. So, you know, it's it's that vague, it's that strange. But of course, it then grows into something horrible later yeah, on as you get older. Yeah, it a lot about confirmation bias because it's like I was the one watching my mom. I was the one who saw how bad it got. But everybody I knew barely knew, most of them didn't even know what that disease was, let alone what it looks like and the vibe that it sends off. And like for me, it was such a distinctive vibe because I was so used to it. It's kind of like when you feel uncomfortable with any one of your parents, only you can't describe it, mm -hmm. only magnified times a thousand. <laughs> But to me, it was like a given. It was like, it was like, that's what I'm going to be like. And everybody, and I, I just assumed that everybody else, once they heard that word, they would see me that way too. Even though they'd never even seen a person that way. Right. Most people yeah. don't even know that the disease exists. Yeah. It's crazy. But, but yeah, like talking to you was like the best thing that ever happened to me because, because you spoke to me on such a level that was like, you were, so, you were so much like the person who I was before I was so scared, but was like very buried because I was trying to fit in with people who didn't relate to me in the slightest as a way to like hide from my real self. And once I met somebody who was like part, like from my same planet, essentially, I was just like, it was like a smack in the face. It was like, no, your world exists. You can be there. It's fine. Like, yeah. and, but it still took like five fucking years of unbearing yeah, you were, myself. You were dragging your feet. I mean, once once you told me about it, it seemed like such a no-brainer. And part of that is because I'm not 
you and I'm not somebody who's at risk, but it seemed like such a no brainer. Just get the test. It does for a lot of people. And I kept trying to explain like, you know, like, no, you don't understand. It's a very hugely emotional thing. Yeah. Um, It's a test that most people will never have to go through the stakes of in their life. You know, most people think of testing. Most people think of testing in a fairly uh, benign, safe way. It's like, oh, you take your SATs. Yeah. Even if you get a bad score, it doesn't mean the end of your life. Mm-hmm. But this is a test. It's it's a fucking coin flip, which yeah. is frightening in general. But this is a test where there's there's apparently a high suicide rate associated with it. Yeah, too. I forget what the percentage is. I feel like it. I can't remember. It's somewhere between ten and thirty percent. Yeah, this is a disease where you know you get tested, and a lot of people do end their life if they get. A yeah. result that says so that they, they have the They make disease. you see a psychologist first. They and Yeah, if, explain the process because it's not it's not something you walk in and you get your blood drawn and then you find yeah, out. No. This is a very long process. It took you about six months or so. Yeah, and it's funny. I wanted it to be that simple. I yeah. was like... Yeah, when you finally decided that you were ready to do it, you you were like, all right, let's go. I was gung-ho. Go. I don't think you... Re- I mean, I think, I think you realized that it would take some time, but I don't think you realized it would yeah. take as long as it would well and we have to talk about like you remember like how i came to the decision to just to do it because because i think what happened was you and i kept having all these conversations and it would be about something it would start out about something completely unrelated to huntington's disease yeah some insecurity in my life some tiny thing or big thing or whatever by the end of the conversation, we'd be talking about Huntington's disease and how horrified I was of it. Well, it was Every like, uh, time. you know, it was like Occam's razor. Yeah. I mean, not Occam's razor. Uh, Poe's law, I think that's what it's called, is uh, that that all online arguments will eventually devolve into uh, bringing up the Holocaust or Hitler. <laughs> it was like that for us, but with Huntington's, where yeah. like the more we would explore whatever was going on with you, the more it led back to your fear about Huntington's disease. Exactly. And, and also your your subconscious sort of, you had convinced yourself essentially that you did have it. Like yeah. deep down, I think you you thought you would get a bad result if you I got tested. I was like so sure. It was crazy. It was well, like- you would, you would like analyze, like the mere fact that like you look similar to your mother, mm-hmm. like even that was like a factor that colored like oh i'm gonna get it because i'm i have her in me yeah i had all these memories of like her moving a certain way or her having a facial expression and i'd look in the mirror if i saw that facial expression like i would just be freaked out it took a while there was a point where i finally got over like there was a point there was a while where i didn't even think my mother was beautiful because of it and like my mom is really gorgeous yeah like really like every like i have friends to this day of hers who will tell me that like everybody who knew her wanted to fuck her like (laughs) is everybody and um i finally at one point i finally got over it i finally like looked in the mirror and was like my mom was beautiful i'm beautiful it's gonna be okay like you know but yeah it just took we talked about it so much that and it just it was it became undeniable that it was bothering me so much that I couldn't function. Like I I would try to do anything and I would just keep thinking about it. I kept thinking like, well, I'm going to die anyway. Like I'm going to like, do I have time to do all the things I want to do? And when I would think about how little time I thought I had, because basically I decided, you know, I have like 10 years before I'm going to start getting this. And right. like I, the option of me not having it wasn't even a thing in my head. So it was like, Anytime I thought about what I wanted to do with my life, all these millions of things would come up and I'd be like, I wouldn't be able to pick because it felt like being able to pick what you're going to do if you had like one day left or something. And it was so overwhelming that like I would just collapse and like curl up and like go to sleep. Well, also your anxiety would manifest in ways similar to your fears as far as the disease. I remember one night we were talking and you were having, you were having, basically you were having a panic attack. Yeah. But you were... Like you were typing to me, um, I I even forget what precipitated it, but you're talk you're typing to me, and your your words literally didn't make sense. Yeah, and to you they made sense. Yeah, and you didn't understand, and I had to I had to like actually like call you and hear mm-hmm. your voice because what you were saying, like the words you were using, 
wasn't making sense and it was frightening yeah and it you know the the actual reality is you wouldn't have been experiencing those symptoms now you would yeah that's something that you would happen 10 years from now or even later um but it was it was absolutely frightening i was afraid you were having a stroke or something yeah you you ended up calling the ambulance i convinced you Mm -hmm. to call an ambulance they checked you out they were like nope you're just having a panic attack yeah but the ways in which it manifested played so into your own fears about huntington's exactly and you would have similar but you know not as dire uh experiences like that when it came to just recording things for the podcast Uh you know i would tell you a million times you know don't spoil the movies Mm -hmm. just just tiny little observations you know and and you'd be like yeah okay and then you'd send me a recording and you'd spoil like you know what happens at the end of like batman versus superman yeah yeah and i'd be like chloe you just spoiled the movie (laughs) and you'd be like oh my god i don't know why yeah, I but would it was start, it yeah. was just the the anxiety that you would get about these certain things. Mm-hmm. I mean, you were just just even in our own interactions before you got tested. You know, it was very frustrating talking mm-hmm. to you a lot of time. Yeah, I, it was. Know, I, I I absolutely loved you, and I I I loved being your friend. Mm-hmm. But it was you know it was hellish at certain points because you were so consumed by the fear, and it so was consumed. so it was so debilitating that like you you literally couldn't if you wanted to do something you could not do it exactly it was horrible it, it was tr- if you yeah if you wanted to to whatever it was if you wanted to write a book if you wanted to make a movie whatever if you wanted to sit down and literally just write you know a piece for the site it was horrendously difficult for you yeah it was terrible <laughs> like it was basically just imagine walking around with like a million pounds just on your back and like yeah. and like being really tired all the time like my depression has always manifested itself in physical exhaustion so i would just get if i ever basically if i ever felt pressure about like oh i have a deadline for the podcast and i need to get something done i would overthink it a ton i would get really overwhelmed i would start thinking about what was going to happen to me in the future and then I would be so overwhelmed, like it was like my brain would overload and I would just go to sleep because I couldn't take it. Like Yeah, there would be nights where I'd be talking to you and we'd be talking about something and mm-hmm. fairly in depth and then a couple minutes later, no response from you. Yeah, exactly. And then eight hours later you'd be like, Oh, I fell asleep. Yeah. And I mean it happens to me sometimes still. Because I think my body's just really used to that. Yeah, but, you had, I guess you had patterns that you're still working out of. But yeah. overall, uh, how has your life been post-testing? Oh my God, immensely better. I feel like, God, it's, I feel, I feel like beautiful for the first time, if mm-hmm. that makes sense. Um, well, you are very beautiful. Thank but you. But you were beautiful before. <laughs> thank you. I'm just here to say. Yeah. And it always helped too when you told me because... I didn't think I was so hard on myself for so long, but, um, yeah, I feel confident. I feel, I feel like my speaking is more confident and well, particularly with speaking, you've, you've taken up doing stand up. Yeah. And one of the reasons why I started doing stand up was because my thing in my head was with being so scared that I was going to develop Huntington's. I wanted to work all of the muscles that I was going to have weakened before it happened. Right, you started, you, actually you started stand-up before you got tested. Yeah, I yeah. started stand-up before I got tested and that was also another reason why I wanted to do the podcast with you and why I was writing pieces with you it was because, well, for one, I didn't feel like a person because I'd been so depressed for so long that like just doing something as simple as like writing for Smug Film was like this introduction back into what it's like to have like a normal life with like deadlines and like and like just interacting with people on a level that is more um, creative. Yeah, it was basically it was doing something rather than talking about doing something. Yeah, exactly. Because it's very results oriented. If yeah. I say, hey, you had that great observation about whatever movie, mm-hmm. you should expand that into like a short piece for the site or whatever. If I say that to you and it doesn't happen, then it's like, uh, 
you agreed to do that. Why didn't you do that? Or yeah. if I say, hey, I need a piece, I need a, uh, you know, a snippet to play on the podcast. Can you talk about this movie that's coming out that you've worked like 20 times already? You'd be like, all right. And then a week later, it doesn't yeah. show up. It's like, and it's, it's like, I think results oriented stuff, even if it's, me. even if it's difficult, it's very beneficial for people if they really get into a groove with it. Mm -hmm. But you, it, basically you had a ceiling for it where you could only get so good at it. You can only get so into it because of the Huntington's uh, looming in your brain. Yeah. It always felt like anything that most people would do. And like, for instance, if you watch a movie and you want to talk about the movie, that's like something that if you know that you're not sick and you're okay, like you don't have to worry about anything while you do it. You're just like, all right, this is about the movie right now. This is just one tiny part of my life right, I can it's, enjoy. It's being in the present. But to me, I, it was really hard to be in the present because whenever I was doing something like that, it seemed trivial by comparison to what I was going through. So it was like, so it was like, how can I watch a movie and review it right now? I'm like going to die. Right. It like, was, <laughs> I mean, it was a ton of resistance. It was a kind yeah. of ton of self-doubt. It's it's basically it's what Stephen Pressfield talks about in, in his books, which I know you're you're a big fan of. Yeah, I'm, yeah. I'm a big fan of. Um, if you're not familiar with his work, he's a fiction writer, but he's also done a couple nonfiction books just about the writing process and, and essentially just the creative process in general. One in particular, The War of Art, is just that book. phenomenal. And uh, if if you're listening at home and you have any interest in, you know, creative pursuits or you are in the midst of creative pursuits, you got to read this book because the way that he lays it out, and and this is, you know, I'm encapsulating it, you know, very much. Read the damn book. This <laughs> isn't the only nugget you'll get from it. But whenever you embark on any any decision to do something, what also creeps up out of that is resistance mm -hmm. which essentially means self-doubt so if you if you want to take up an ab routine if you want to do you know sit-ups every single day then you know a, a, a day later you'll be like hey you could skip this day you know mm -hmm. all right like all these little like voices in your head that tell you not to do something whether it's write a book you know start a podcast etc there are always a million billion reasons not to do something. You know, you, you can you can come up with a reason not to do anything, essentially. And you're bombarded with these in your head when you're trying to do something. Yeah. When you're when you're starting a project. There's so many reasons for you to skip out on doing an open mic, you know, yeah. a stand up open mic. And you've faced that several times where like you've been like, oh, well, I'm a little tired today mm -hmm. and there's not going to be that many people there anyway. Mm -hmm. And some of those nights when you push through end up being like, you know, you tell me, oh, it was like the best night of stand up I ever had. Yeah. And it's all because the resistance was like telling yourself a story about what the night was going to be. It was telling yourself like this weird thing about like the, the future mm -hmm. when if you just stayed in the present, you would just yeah done it. So that's a... Uh, that's a great book, The War of Art. Y'all mm -hmm. should check it out. And, you know, things helped you tremendously, like doing smug film, of course. Yeah, it helped me so much. Like just And that was prior to even yeah. even testing, just because getting into that groove, um, I think is great for anybody dealing with depression, dealing with anything. Just get into a groove that's results oriented. Mm -hmm. It doesn't matter if you're going to the gym, if you're sitting down to write a poem every day. Write write a page of a book mm -hmm. every day, you know. Paint if you want to take up painting. It's just something that's results oriented, where it's I'm doing this every single day, or I'm I'm going to this place once a week. You need that routine, and then the depression is just gonna. If if you really stick to whatever routine it is, the depression is just gonna take a back seat to it. It's true. And I think a lot of it is reward too. It's like, you know, we're very with behaviorism and, and all that conditioning. We condition ourselves. Um, I think that depression is a form of conditioning. It's a negative type of thing where, where um, you reward yourself for things that are bad for you. You reward yourself. Like your brain is straight up feeling good feelings from you feeling bad. Yeah. And um, from you not doing anything. And, um, but when you are doing something 
results oriented where you can't deny that you did or didn't do it that day. Um, right. You'd have to deny reality. Exactly. To deny it. Yeah. When you do that, you get something. And when you look at that something, it feels good because it's like anytime I would do a smug film piece, I would read it and I would feel so good afterwards. Yeah. Because there's nothing that compares to that feeling. Yeah. It's like I made this. It's like here it is. I can show it to people. It it exists in the world and like nobody can dispute that that exists. And um, yeah, it's it's like I just finished my first poetry book. Congratulations. Yeah. <laughs> And, um, 200 poems. Yeah. Yeah. And thank you for teaching me. Yes, I was your kind of... Mentor. Mentor, I <laughs> guess. Because if you're listening at home, you don't know that I've written the bazillion poetry books. Now you know. You know, go to CodyClark.com. I got a ton of goddamn books on there. I've written nine books in the last two years or so. They're really goddamn good, too. Yeah. <laughs> but, yeah, I just finished mine. All I did was I wrote a poem... Almost every night. I mean, there were nights that I would skip where resistance would take over, like a lot. And I would beat myself up about it really bad. Like, it's like a lot of people, if they were writing a poetry book and they wrote like 50 or something, they'd be like patting themselves on the back. But like, if I skipped like one or two nights, I would be like, like smacking myself, you know, like, yeah, it doesn't matter how many I've done. Yeah, because you knew you got out of the groove. Exactly. Essentially, the 200 that are in your, your poetry book, they're 200 good poems. Yeah. They're not just 200 poems. I threw away like a thousand probably. Yeah. <laughs> like, yeah. Yeah. But, but yeah, it really helped. It helped a lot. And it feels so good to have completed something. Like I've started and not completed so many things in my life because of that fear. And like I finally completed something. So. And you'll complete Tons of more things, absolutely. Mm-hmm. You know, your your life now, you're resuming something that, that you were, a, a path that you were on before the last 10 years or so. Yeah. You know, and that's that's a beautiful, awesome thing. It's as, it's as though you lost like 600 pounds or something, you know? Yeah, it is. It's as though you're back to like your middle school weight and you spent like a decade you know, as like a humongous dude who couldn't do anything. It's <laughs> it's like that. It, it really is. And it's, yeah. man, the amount of weight off your back. And Thank I think, you. I honestly think that even if you had tested positive for the Huntington's gene, mm-hmm. you would have still, maybe not immediately, but you would have still had a better handle on life and your reality because you'd finally know for sure I think a lot of the problem was the question, you know, the unanswered question of it. Yeah, the uncertainty about my future. And it's like, no, no one knows what their future is going to be. Um, so I feel like everyone feels that way to an extent. But yeah. just the feeling that like it could be a certain thing and just imagining that thing over and over again was really, really horrible. Like um, on the opposite end of the spectrum, like it feels really good to have met you in person because it's like, even though imagining it like was a good thing to imagine, it's nowhere near as good as just fucking being here. Yeah. And yeah, we've been having a great time. We've been spending the whole week together. Fantastic. Yeah. The best week I've ever had. And, um, but it's like, it's like I've imagined it so many times and it was like, because I knew that it would be good for me. And, um, just like I imagined getting tested so many times, but I was imagining all this horrible shit and it was like, I knew that it would be bad. I felt like it would be be bad for me, but this is like something I imagined that like actually changed my life for the better in like, and like I can move on. Like there's, there's like all these, like I, I couldn't move on with my life before I tested, um, because I kept imagining getting Huntington's disease, but it's like, now it's like, it's like, I couldn't. Even even after that, it was like so hard to like stop thinking about wanting to see you. Yeah. And like, even though it's a great thing, it's like now that that's passed, it's like sweet. I can figure out like what I'm gonna do now. I can figure out like how to live my life. I can figure out like how I'm gonna move to New York City and all these things that like I was so wrapped up in like in like um, feeling like I didn't I wasn't with somebody who who was like me you know, that it's like now that it's like 
real I can be like yeah <laughs> you know? and you you met a lot of tremendous people during the testing process yeah I did you had a you had a very great support group I did yeah it's crazy I became just so much closer to people like I was alienating myself from like the world basically during that 10 years I was very cynical and um I uh, wouldn't open up to anyone. Um, well, you were even very cynical on first meeting with uh, one of the doctors that you, you oh, talked yeah. to. I called her and my idea was like, I was like, I want to move to New York and I want to test before I go to New York because I know that it's it would already be hard enough to do this than like let alone do test at the same time. And it, I just didn't want to fuck up my life by doing that. So I was just like, can I get tested in Kansas City and then move afterwards? And so when I called her, she was I was like, how can I do it? Let me just draw the blood. It'll be over soon, whatever. And she's like, no. Yeah, and you were like, oh, that bitch, that <laughs> yeah. horrible, that horrible woman. She's the worst. And then, of mm -hmm. course, you, uh, you know, you love her now. Yeah, I love her now. <laughs> she's great. Yeah, she she was the best thing for you. She brought mm -hmm. you back down to reality. Yeah, and and you had just wonderful doctors. Mm -hmm. It seemed like everybody was was really rooting for you and was really on your side. And it 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 definitely strengthened your friendships. I know. Yeah, a friend of yours, Jewel, mm -hmm. was there for you for the results and was there for you for some of the yeah. the uh, appointments. Yeah, she was really good for me. It, it's just. In general, my connection to other human beings became better yeah. through the process because once I started, it's like I was in such a limbo for such a long time. And once I started the process, once I decided I'm going to do this and I'm going to um, take actual tangible steps towards it, a lot of the opposite things of what I thought would happen started happening. Like I didn't think anyone respected me. I didn't think anyone liked me. I didn't think that... I was as strong as I was. And the more people I told what I was doing, the more I realized people respected me. People looked up to me even, which was crazy because I never knew that could be a thing. <laughs> um, and people were there for me. So it's like I would tell people, you know, because it's like I was hiding it for so long. I would tell people, hey, I'm testing for Huntington's disease. Here's what it is. And they'd be like, oh, my God, you're so brave. That's so awesome whatever. And I'd be like, yeah, I'm really scared that like, I can't articulate my thoughts. I feel like, cause that's my big thing is I was like, I can't articulate my thoughts. Like I'd convinced myself just like with the panic attack that I just couldn't like, I mean, I'd be talking to you sometimes and like, we'd be trying to explain something emotionally to one another. And I'd be like, there'd be like this block there where it was like, I, I would just overload and I couldn't even type what I was ex like feeling that was, I felt that way with like everyone. So once I started talking to people about it, they were like, dude, you're actually very articulate. You're one of the most articulate people I know yeah. and blah, blah, blah. And like when I was talking to the doctors, like the psychologist and, and, um, and everybody, and I was explaining my whole life story and everything, they were just like wowed by it. They were like, you're an artist, a very articulate, beautiful person. And I was just like, really, <laughs> really? Yeah. And well, you deprived yourself of seeing yourself that way for such a long time. Yeah. And so like when I started to realize that people saw me that way, I started to see myself more that way and it really helped. So just going through that whole process, like not only did I, did that happen, but just I started to realize like we we're talking about that so much of the stuff that I thought was Huntington's disease is just people being people. And, um, especially because there was a period between college and, and now when like for maybe like a couple of years in the beginning where I was living with my dad and my dad isn't very mentally stable. He's, um, he's like a hoarder and he's, he's just, um, he's kind of like out of touch with reality and he just like smokes a ton of weed and stuff. And I, I just, when I was living with him, I started to realize a bunch of his habits of like procrastination and like resistance and everything were very parallel to what I was experiencing for a long time. And once I realized that I had gotten them from like more nurture than nature right. from him, I realized that I could beat them. Yeah. I realized that it wasn't 
really just Huntington's disease, I realized these are problems everybody has that if I just try, I can just not have them as badly. So once that happened, I was just like, okay, I just need to work at it. But I'd been so stuck in that for so long. It was so hard. Like once I moved out on my own, got rid of all the influences of like people who were living shitty lifestyles and stuff around me and like built my own lifestyle. It made it a lot easier because like and start purging shit, like purging, like no drugs, no alcohol, like no animal products, all that stuff. It really helped like a lot because I was able to control my day to day life and build routines and things and and doing that just um, I don't know. It just it just got easier, like exponentially. So, yeah. (laughs) Well, I'm very glad you're very glad. I'm sure everybody listening is is very glad for your progress and for your for your great result on the test and it's an ongoing process and you're just going to do more and more awesome things and i'm gonna keep loving you and loving you mm-hmm. and <laughs> your lovely lovely girlfriend thank and you you the best and thank you all for listening see you soon <laughs> bye-bye bye-bye